Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is Jean Doe Massaero, an Alexander Technique teacher in Montpelier, France. We've been doing a series of conversations about the influence of Delsart and even more specifically Delsart's younger brother Camille Delsart on F. Matthias Alexander and what's become known as the Alexander Technique. And uh, we're going to continue that discussion. Jean, uh, Jean Doe, welcome once again. Thank you. Hello. It, it, hello. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. What I'd like to do is just very briefly try to summarize the big picture of where we are at so far in these conversations that it seems pretty clear that uh, th there was a strong Del Sartre uh, method influence on F. Matthias Alexander coming by way of Delsart, Francois Delsart's younger brother Camille, who moved to Australia in, uh, I believe you said it was 1851. You, we had the date wrong earlier. Yes, uh, I made a mistake. It was not 15, 1857. As I said, yeah. I checked and it's 1851. He entered uh, Australia through Adelaide and it was uh, in 51. Yes. Right. And, and he spent a lot of the time until his death in 1887 in, of all places, Tasmania. He, uh, there's even a building in Hobart. He was in Hobart. He was quite well known as a teacher of uh, um, voice teacher, drama teacher, and so on. And he had a huge influence on a lot of Australian Alexander, not Australian the acting community. And that certainly permeated uh, to Alexander, who we know held himself out as a teacher of the Delsart method uh, before moving to England. Um, and um, the, if I can just summarize what you said about Camille's influence, yeah. indirect influence, Camille represented a kind of an early, uh, earlier, an early stage of Francois Delsart's teaching, and did not. Um, uh, he, he did use the images that Delsart used, but he did yes. he wasn't as skilled at drawing them as. Francois was, and it doesn't appear that Alexander ever used them himself. Does that sound right? Yes, it's he, right from, from, from my knowledge. From, yes. from what we know. But certainly the, uh, some of the underlying ideas of Francois Delsart were very strongly embedded in Alexander's initial um, work on himself. And on his teaching, and that we 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 know that for a long time um, Alexander did not use hands use his hands to help students. That that ended somewhere, uh, maybe in the teens, maybe in the mid twenties, but that he relied pretty much entirely on verbal instructions. Is that is that fair to say as well? Yes, that's absolutely correct. There is one thing that we can mention is the fact, for example, that um, um, his, uh, his niece, Alexander's niece, mm -hmm. but, uh, Marjorie Barlow, 
mm-hmm. she she wrote down that uh, is uh, Alexander's brother A. R. Uh, Redden. He he was in fact uh, uh, always saying that Alexander never laid a hand on him. Mm-hmm. So and he, and and you said you had some uh, a record of Alexander's teaching around 1914 or so description of him teaching and there was no hands-on work there exactly. either. Yes. So hands-on yes. is a, came some came quite a bit later than the original years of teaching. Yes. Exactly. And in connection with that um I know that you wanted to talk a little about uh, Alexander's use of the term position. Yeah. Um, maybe it's not directly related to hands-on or not hands-on, but it's, I believe it is related to this early period of first part of Alexander's teaching. And I, I, I was, I've always been puzzled by the photographs that appear in the back of MSI, Man's Supreme Inheritance, that show, uh, as he puts it, the correct and the incorrect position of obtaining perfect equilibrium of the human machine when standing. And it involves very specific instructions of where the feet should go. Yeah. And... um, Interestingly enough, I do remember Marjorie Barstow once talking about that kind of in passing. It was well, I'm interested there. Yeah, it's on her video. It's in a video done in uh, Australia. She just kind of went off on that a little bit. Uh, I, I th- and it was sort of out of nowhere. And it certainly isn't something she particularly talked about a lot. But the idea was that you would have one foot in, a bit in front of the other and turned out at a roughly 45-degree angle, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... What what is your take on this interest in positions and did you think he went wrong there or what what's your what's your take on that? Well, there are many things to say here, so I will have I will have to be um, quite organized in answering the question. I think there are three things that I want to say. The first thing, when we talk about this picture, I invite everybody to go back to Manson Perinheritance and to watch them because there is something astonishing, really, really astonishing, is that if you look at the, uh, the photograph, you will see there is no neck. There is no head. Right, it's cut off. Right. Yeah, it's cut off, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- d- did you ever wonder why? It's cut off. I didn't wonder so much about that, but I wondered why he had separate pictures for a woman wearing a long dress. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's, it's quite interesting that uh, the relationship between the, the, uh, the torso and the head is not feature, featured uh, in the photographs. That's, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so it was a time when the, the, the real center of interest was the torso, Mm-hmm. And that fits in with Del Sartre's ideas too. Absolutely, right? yeah. absolutely. You will see. You will follow my follow me. You're you're going too fast. You're okay. not following me. I'll, you're going ahead of me. I'm going to step back here. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's just to say that um, when you read Alexander, the first, for example, the first two books, 
mm -hmm. supreme inheritance and constructive conscious control of the individual. This is where you, you find the biggest similarities between Alexander and Delsart. It's there. It's, it's not through uh, um, comments or uh, reading of lessons at that, that age or that time or another time. No, it's because I followed uh, like uh, words by words what Alexander was saying. So I have to come back to the term position because, uh, before I make any more comment about the photograph. Mm -hmm. Try and follow me. You will see. So, when Alexander is talking about positions in the first two books, there is something very strange. Is that he's talking about position in walking, in going up and down the stairs, he's talking about positions. Well, for me, he's talking about movements. Mm -hmm. It's as if he's talking about a still image of a movement. Mm -hmm. You have to understand that we are talking about movements here. That is that when you see uh, somebody during a walk, for example, with a still image, you know that uh, the whole structure is in movement and that the parts are moving relative to one another. It's not a posture in the sense of a fixed thing. You understand the... Mm -hmm. uh, the idea, for example, one of the main concepts or fundamental principles of the Del Star teaching is, 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 is said that you have to strengthen the center, which is the torso, and you have to free the circumference, which is the head and limbs. Mm -hmm. That is considered as the fundamental principle. Of Del Sartre's teaching. Of Del Sartre's teaching, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But then, when Alexander describes uh, the first time what he called the position of mechanical advantage, mm -hmm. so we get the word position here again. Mm -hmm. So you, you might think that we are talking about a fixed position, a fixed posture that would be good. Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, you have to understand that this appears in a, in a paragraph about scoliosis. Mm -hmm. about a new shortening of the spine. And Alexander says well, this undue shortening of the spine is not due uh, of because of undue action of the muscle shortening. No, no, it's not due. It's the reason of the position, the uh, abnormal shortening of the spine is due to the muscles that are intended by, by nature to produce a force, and they are not producing it. Though the, the, the whole technique is about, in fact, using a position of mechanical advantage in order to bring these muscles back into function. It's very clear. You are not to try to strengthen them by exercise. You are not to try to release the muscles that are too short. You are to bring back the released muscle into function. And in order to achieve that, you have to use what they call position of mechanical advantage. But then you, are, you realize that he's not talking about a position. And especially if you read Del Sartre, as I had the chance to do because I'm French, mm -hmm. the first step toward getting the mind under control is to acquire freedom of the joints. 
it's very interesting sentence this mm -hmm. it's that we are not talking about uh, getting the body under control under conscious control it's the mind that we are trying to control here. And, and this is so, Del, Del Sartre saying this, this is again. Del, well, yes, yeah. I'm mixing. Sorry. This is yeah. Del Sartre. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and uh, um, th there is a second quote that I need to bring in before to wrap the thing in order to answer completely. There is a quote from uh, one of the founder of uh, modern dance, well, modern American dance. He's called Ted Schoen. Mm He's -hmm. a very, very famous dancer and uh, producer in the States. And this man uh, states in his book, um, Every Little Movement, it's called. And he states, one of the absolutely vital differences of the Del Star teaching is the recognition of the torso as a source and essential means of a true emotional expression through gestures. It means that you have to understand something. It's the, the way you move the different parts of the torso in, in front of an audience is going to convey an emotional situation that, of course, is not there because you're not emotionally involved. You're an actor. And, so, he's, and he's talking about moving uh, parts of your torso relative to each other. Yes. Sort of internal torso movements. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these internal torso movements, if, if you organize them in opposition one to the next, then you get what we call the lengthening of the torso. It's a geometrical problem we are talking about here. You have different uh, pieces of support that are set at an angle and you want to have, uh, have them straighten. Uh, Alexander used the term straighten the spine. It's unfortunate, but it's conveying something that if you've got some parts that are uh, unduly arched, well, uh, what you need is to change the geometry of the different parts that are not correctly adjusted. So mm -hmm. we are talking here about adjustment of bones of levers. These adjustments right. of bones right. are necessary because the person has habits of movements of these parts that are subconscious. The person is not even aware that she's moving one part against the other all the time. But that's what we do. And, mm -hmm. and so Delsa proposes not a position, as Alexander would call it, I would I, I rather like another word. I use geometry because geometry is a language that is used to understand the different position of rigid structures. And we are talking about not muscles that are so delicate and so complex and so different in their shape all the time. We are talking about bones. It's much easier. And when you are in front of a mirror, for example, and you spend a lot of time in front of the mirror projecting orders, you know, mm -hmm. you're not concerned about muscles because the muscles, they, they are not making the shape of the whole self. It's the bones. It's the different position of the bones that make the spine be lengthening or not lengthening. So there are very, very clear indications 
that the directions are not directions for changing the, the way the musculature is activated or not activated. It's about changing the geometry. Because if you change the geometry, Alexander says that the muscles that are unduly relaxed all the time and allow for the shortening, these muscles are, are to be brought back into play. This is Alexander in 1909. Mm-hmm. Well, you could hear Del South speaking here. Mm-hmm. And was the, the method of doing this or part of the method of accomplishing this placing yourself in this position of mechanical advantage just is just the position and freeing the joints is will facilitate that change is that the idea well in fact the problem is even more complex because you need to free the joint in order to elicit movement between the different parts of the torso before you start to coordinate these different movements to create the geometry you want. Mm-hmm. The first problem uh, in, in the Delsart system is called decomposition. Mm-hmm. And decomposition means uh, freeing the joints between the different parts you're talking about. So you have to create movement. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a directions for movement. So you have to, in fact, remember Delsart in front of the mirror wanting to create the movement of the larynx downward mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. he was uh, uh, singing high notes. Right. He wanted to see a movement and he couldn't feel any, uh, any urge, any, any possibility of moving the larynx that way. It mm-hmm. seemed impossible. And then... The, the, the big uh, surprise was to discover that by thinking the movement, he, was, he, he started to realize that there was some movement happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all against magic, but it's, uh, it's, it's, that is the magic moment. Well, it, it the- sounds, sounds a lot like direction, doesn't it? Well, like yeah. Alexander technique direction, but before Alexander. Yes, but it's in front of the mirror and mm-hmm. you are checking mm-hmm. that you are really, when we say, you know, we use the term projecting or you, Alexander at the time used the term projecting directions. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to finish that sentence in the Del South way because Del South would say you project direction to your reflection. You project direction because you're, you're seeing a, an image in front of you. Mm-hmm. happens to be your reflection. You know, you see yourself in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you will the movement of a part that resists, that doesn't want to go the way you will it. It wants to go the way of your habit. Mm-hmm. And then you discover that by that very strange detached position that you get, that your feeling doesn't count, that all that counts is the reflection, the moment of the reflection, and then suddenly something happens, and then some movements start to be possible. So, and you will discover that these movements are absolutely different or uh, alien to what you feel you mm-hmm. should be doing in order to get get these movements. So so, he, so yeah. if it's he was using a mirror not just in the way or maybe not in the way Alexander says he did to get um 
kind of unbiased feedback about what he was doing with his head and neck and so on. But Del Sartre was using the mirror as a way of of directing himself indirectly by directing the image in the mirror, getting around his debauched kinesthetic awareness, so to speak. I couldn't say better. Oh, wow. Well, I, I'm just picking up on what you're, what you're saying here. It seems like an amazing process, really. Um, but Alexander didn't go that route. No, well, I think he did. <laughs> oh, that's the problem. I, I really. But do I mean, think he didn't he did. use them. He didn't have this idea of directing in front of directing the image in the mirror, right? Well, uh, or did he? I don't know. I don't. I, I'm. I'm a very difficult position because uh, we should ask Alexander, but he's dead, so there is a problem here. But um, uh, when you read the first uh, two books in detail, as I've done, and you mm-hmm. you check and you comment on every sentence you find, and you try to make sense of the whole thing, then you realize that he knew a lot about the Del Sartre system. He knew absolutely about directing in front of the mirror. He knew about. He knew the word projecting direction. Okay, so he did that for himself, presumably. Oh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely You're sure of that. But, the, yeah. but we don't, uh, there doesn't seem, as far as I know, any Alexander Technique tradition of standing in front of a mirror and, project, and, and directing the image on the mirror. Maybe there is in some schools. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it too, but uh, what my teacher would say would say, well, you should read uh, Evolution of a Technique. It's uh-huh. uh, the, first, the first chapter of the use of the self. And what do we get in the first chapter of the use of the self? Not one, but repeated reference to the fact that uh, he should check in the mirror what he was uh, projecting because he discovered that uh, 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 although he had uh, worked on himself for quite a long while at Uh the end of evolution, he he realized that uh, he still was trying to, in fact, check what he was doing according to what he felt. And he said, but stupid me, Uh, I need to go in front of the mirror again. And that's the only way I can get proof that I'm really inhibiting when I think and I'm, I'm inhibiting. Well, you see all that. That is the, 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 the essence of our technique. Well, that's what my teacher told me. He said, well, if you want to understand the technique, you have to read Evolution of a Technique. But he doesn't say, in, as far as I can remember in that chapter, that he directed his image in the mirror. He, I, I, my sense is always that the mirror, the clever thing that Alexander figured out was that the mirror, especially at side angle or a back angle, yeah. would give him kind of unbiased, correct information. And in other words, it, it would be a much more reliable indication of what he was actually doing than anything else he had available to him. Yes. That's absolutely but that's correct. not quite the same as saying he was directing his image. I'm sorry, sir. I disagree. Okay. I will explain. I will okay. explain. All right. Uh, you said it was uh, a means to make sure of what he was really doing. Is right. that correct? Yep. Yes. Is that not directing? <laughs> well, he's direct. To, so he sees he's it, doing something he thought he wasn't doing, and he goes back and 
my yeah. sense is he goes back and figures out maybe I have to change the way I direct or not get caught up in my feelings. I guess my idea of directing the image is when you would just stand in front of the mirror and tell that image what to do, which is, sounds like what Del Sartre was doing. Well, it's again. Well, we don't know. I will try. I will try to explain. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, well, it's a difficult thing because for me it was quite clear that when you're reasoning about how to produce uh, a given. Uh, uh, relation between parts, a given geometry or given position, as you want to, to, to call it, and you are checking in the mirror that, in fact, you are not succeeding, you are mm -hmm. not, uh, mm -hmm. in fact, producing or projecting the image you want, then you will reason in your mind and decide to project your direction differently. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I call projecting direction in a mirror. So you would do that, you would do that retry, as it were, in real time, getting visual feedback. Of course. Okay. And so will, yeah. Okay. So because you would. So, yeah. You get two things. You get visual feedback, uh -huh. but you get something else at the same time. You get a bonus. The bonus you get is how wrong you do have to feel in order to produce the projection you want. You learn to be okay with feeling wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. But that, so that's but immediate. But he, uh, yeah, I guess that's not something I would have ever picked up from that chapter in Use of the Self. I saw it as kind of, as I said, a place, uh, uh, he, would, he would discover he wasn't doing what he thought he was doing. And so he would go back and then try a different process. And then eventually what he did see matched what he did. And then he was happy. Mm -hmm. But... The, the description you're giving is more a real-time thing. He's changing it as he's watching himself. And that's, well, that's remember, the part yes. that's, that's new to me. What he was saying was that he, in fact, uh, directed and then uh, checked and discovered that he hadn't inhibited what he thought he had inhibited. And yeah. did he ever teach his students to do that? That I, I do not know. I do not know. But he certainly talks about it as if he did in the, the use of the self. He, he apparently is very aware of the problem of, of projecting direction to the reflection. Mm -hmm. So you see, that's problematic because he's, in his writing, he's so aware of it. He's so clear about his, and that is 30 or maybe 40 years after the, the, the deed because he, he wrote about uh, the evolution of the technique in 1930-something. Early, early 30s. Early 30s. Yeah. So, and that happened in uh, 1893. But yet today, this, I think this would come as news to most Alexander teachers. No, everybody knows that he was uh, checking in the mirror all no, the time. No, the mirror, but this way of using the mirror, projecting the image, directing the image in the mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh, let, let, me, let me say something of a personal nature. Sure. <laughs> um, I translated Alexander books into French. And um, in fact, it's a quite a strange position to be in. Because I was a new student. I was not an Alexander teacher when I started. I started that as a school project. 
You understand? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was very strange because I had to know quite a lot of what Alexander had said or had written, while uh, my teacher knew a lot more about the practical techniques than I did. Mm-hmm. You understand? It was a strange sure. situation. Okay. Um, what is interesting in this position of a translator, it at some point the guy starts to speak to you because you spend so much time translating. It's an enormous uh, amounts of hours that you have to spend, you know, in, in that uh, in that thing. You alone with the text, okay? Mm-hmm. So there was there is a moment when you start to to need um, a, a sort of a reference to the real world, <laughs> right. and not uh, speak like Alexander was speaking, and not uh, uh, think like Alexander was thinking. So there is one way: is to listen to the guy that is reading the book. Well, I listen to Alexander's words, and I experimented. Mm-hmm. Instead okay. of staying on an academic level and saying, well, I will translate this sentence like this. Mm-hmm. I am standing in front of the mirror to check that the direction was good. No, it's not. Then you, then you go in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and if, it was very strange because uh, there was some fear of the mirror in the school I was in. Mm-hmm. There, there was no, uh, there was, you, know, you imagine mirrors everywhere. No, mm-hmm. no, no. There were none. There were there were no mirrors. The teachers wow. were the mirrors, really? if you want, uh-huh. but there were no mirrors, you know. And you, there was no. Uh, what I had to construct is, uh, uh, you know, a, a two-way mirror so that you can see yourself from the uh, three-quarter an angle and also from the back, from the the side, so that you can see how your back is behaving. I had to construct yeah. that at home. Right. Oh, okay. Because in- was nothing like this. So in school, we were very far from evolution of a technique, in a sense, in a practical sense, you know. So mm-hmm. because I was translating the book, I, I had to recreate that. So I, I, I could see that projecting directions could be checked in a mirror. And you project a direction in a mirror and you can evaluate straight away that your, dire- your projection is a bit tainted by your sensory appreciation mm-hmm. and that if you want to achieve what the guy is saying that you must, then you discover that, wow, the feeling you get from that move is horrendous. So this, I earlier on, you mentioned to me, it might have been not during an actual podcast, but that, that while Alexander... I, th- I think the way you phrased it was that it's all there in his books, but you've got to really be lo- on the lookout for it, so yeah. how to direct. And this, I think this was a discussion, maybe uh, the idea that, okay, Alexander was strongly influenced by Del Sartre's ideas, and w- but we shouldn't in any way take that as any sort of condemnation of Alexander. In fact, from my point of view, that's actually a very positive thing. But it isn't that he stole something. He was influenced by something, and he took it in a really good direction, right? And you took it higher. And if you took it compare, to a better place. And yeah, as you say, better. he was yeah. probably the best Del Sartian around. Exactly. Well, yeah. he, he, he was uh, by... 
it's incredible how much better he was because when you read the books of the Del Sartist, it's it's like appalling. Right. It's well, like he, all about relaxation, about uh, right. uh, releasing, and and there, there is you can't get nothing out of Del Sartism of really really little things. Well, when you read Alexander's books, wow! I, I think I mentioned it to you. I consider it a gold mine. Of course, you have to dig in order to get the ore, but mm-hmm. it's a real gold mine that Alexander has left us. I. I, I I've always been fond of these books, you know, but mm-hmm. when translating them, suddenly it was like, wow, but it's shining everywhere. As soon as you try and uh, pass the, the difficult language and to try to, to engage into uh, what he's talking about, well, trying uh, and getting the mirrors and trying to direct, wow, suddenly you think, wow, but this guy is talking real stuff. And it's yeah. amazing the uh, the invention and the insights and uh, and how well also how correct is always uh, about the biomechanical arrangement of the different parts. It's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. So no, no, I, I'm not uh, belittling Alexander. Not at all. For right. me, is like the is the is the master because. What happened is that Del Sartre stopped teaching the practical uh, part of his system. Right. He stayed in the mystical and in the theoretical, right. uh, uh, well, upper layer of his technique that is not very interesting to me. But uh, what Alexander did is, well, transform the life of the student. That's so, so amazing. If it's okay with you, I'd like to end this conversation just for because of time constraints. Yes, and then yeah. and then can talk a little more about this whole period of time and what it means for Alexander students and teachers today in a second podcast. Is that okay? Yes. So, um, so my guest today has been. Uh, Jean Doe Massaero, an Alexander Technique teacher in Montpelier, France. And we're going to have some more conversations in this series shortly. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you.